Welcome to the Pharmacotherapy Podcast. My name is Lindsay Devon. I am Professor Emeritus of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston. I also serve as Editor-in-Chief of Pharmacotherapy, an official journal of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy. Today, we are talking with Dr. Patrick Finley about his team's research article published in the June issue of Pharmacotherapy titled, Combining Antidepressants with Beta Blockers, Evidence of a Clinically Significant CYP-CYP2D6 Drug Interaction. Its co-authors include J.Q. Shin and Nancy Hills. Dr. Finley is a professor of clinical pharmacy at the University of California, San Francisco, with a special interest in psychopharmacology and behavioral health. Thank you, Dr. Finley, for taking the time to join me today, and welcome to the podcast. My pleasure. Well, we'll just go ahead and get started, Dr. Finley, with some questions. Um, Your research group investigated whether initiating an antidepressant in patients receiving beta blockers increase the risk of hemodynamic adverse events. Would you discuss for our listeners the rationale for this study? Uh, Certainly. Um, Many of the popular antidepressants inhibit uh, cytochrome Q450, specifically the 2D6 isoenzyme. And um, conversely, most of the beta blocker prescriptions are for specific beta blockers, which are CYP2D6 substrates. So at least in theory, uh, the initiation of antidepressants in patients stabilized on these beta blockers would result in in inhibition of metabolism and therefore a significant increase in plasma concentrations. Um, There have been some small prospective studies which were looking at exactly that. And sure enough, they found that when you start these strong inhibitors of CYP2D6, uh, specifically antidepressants, they'll increase the beta blocker concentrations by roughly between 200 and 500%. Um, What we don't know is what the clinical outcomes are of this interaction. So what we wanted to do is look at a large patient population um, and see if, in fact, they were more likely to have adverse hemodynamic events by virtue of ICD-9 codes for hospital admission or ER visits. Um, And we wanted to take it a step further and compare people on started on strong inhibitors of CYP2D6 versus those that are minimal inhibitors of CYP2D6. This sounds like it was a complicated design. So I think our our listeners may be wondering how you how did you collect data for analysis that would provide some pharmacodynamic measures before and after initiation of a beta blocker? Uh, effectively, we just use claims data. Medicaid uh, in California is actually the largest Medicaid program in the United States. It, it goes by the common name Medi-Cal, and so we use their their claims data. Uh, for prescriptions as well as any, any kind of treatment that patients receive, any kind of procedures or admissions or what have you. Our primary outcome of interest was people who were admitted to the hospital or were seen in the emergency room for ICD, ICD-9 codes suggestive of excessive beta blockade. Uh, so we were just looking at this primary outcome of things like falls, bradycardia, shock, hypotension, etc., um, we also looked at people who were seen in, in the emergency room or were admitted to the hospital for all causes. We wanted to make sure we weren't missing too many patients because they were miscoded. And we'll get to this momentarily, but I thought the, the difference in those two outcomes was pretty interesting. 
and it suggested that there was some internal validity to what we were doing. Regarding hemodynamic outcomes, we actually didn't look at any hemodynamic parameters, unfortunately, uh, because this was simply a retrospective um, survival analysis of this large database. Before you discuss some of your uh, findings, I think our listeners realize that the larger the population that you study like this from a claims database, the more likely there to be uh, a number of confounding variables. Would you just uh, comment on how you control for such variables, such as drug dose, uh, patient age, and patients receiving other drugs that could have potential hemodynamic effects? Um, there are a number of confounding variables which could affect our outcomes, particularly using such a large database. So uh, the first step was to be um, pretty explicit in terms of our inclusion and exclusion criteria. Uh, specifically, we excluded people who were on other medications which had potential hemodynamic effects. Um, then in terms of the other confounders, uh, things like age, gender, uh, dose of beta blocker, ethnicity, um, we started by conducting a, a univariate analysis, looking at our primary outcome of interest, and then we sequentially added in these different um, confounders uh, and, and compared the outcomes. Your study produced um, a lot of different results uh, and a lot of statistical findings, which are detailed uh, in the publication. I'm wondering if you would just summarize uh, some of your most important findings from this study. I think the most important finding was that we did find a significant elevated risk for serious hemodynamic events when certain antidepressants are combined with certain beta blockers. And the significance of that is that these are two of the most commonly prescribed classes of medications today. Uh, th there was a, a large study done in 2014 called the NHANES study, which looked at um, a lot of different factors. One of it was, uh, one of their outcomes was how many people are actually receiving beta blockers. And they reported it was, as I recall, something like between 25 and 30% of people, uh, adults in this country are currently receiving beta blockers. In our study, we, we indeed found that beta blockers were commonly prescribed. Um, but what was really stunning, I think, was the percentage of people on beta blockers who were subsequently started on an antidepressant. Uh, and in our case, it was in the neighborhood of about 30%. So if you look at national figures, um, using the NHANES data in our data, which I know is a little tricky because they're two different databases, um, what you would find is that 7.3 million people in this country are currently receiving this combination of medications. Uh, so if, in fact, there is a significant interaction, literally millions of people are at risk. Yeah, that's a substantial uh, population of people taking uh, drugs that have an, an interaction with each other. One of your findings is to evaluate uh, when uh, serious events occurred. And there's some data in your um, analysis about the first 30 days of exposure. I'm just wondering if your data suggests a more uh, defined time course. That is, you know, is there a greater risk um, for adverse events right after the uh, combination of drugs are given together when an antidepressant is presumably accumulating to steady state? Um, or if a patient, uh, sort of put the question a different way, if a patient is uh, adverse event free after a month, like many of those millions of people should be, uh, does this mean that uh, a serious drug drug interaction is not likely to occur? Short answer is yes. <laughs> um, our, our hypothesis was that 
Uh, if you took someone who was stabilized on a beta blocker and you introduced an antidepressant, well, the antidepressant should be inhibiting uh, CYP2D6 really within the first day. Um, and as, as the beta, block, beta blocker um, begins to accumulate towards a higher plasma concentration, that's when you start to see this enhanced risk for some kind of adverse hemodynamic dynamic outcome. You would think that would happen literally within the first few weeks. Uh, and so we were looking more specifically at those, those patients uh, during the first 30 days, and then we were comparing it to people who'd been on the combination longer. Uh, and in fact, our, our outcomes showed that there was clearly an enhanced risk uh, during those first 30 days, as opposed to, as opposed to folks who could actually tolerate uh, both of the medications for longer than the first month. Um, we were a little bit hampered here by the fact that uh, 30 days was kind of the magical cutoff just because in the Medi-Cal uh, system, typically that, that's the quantity of medication prescribed is 30-day supplies. So it could be that they were, they were only taking it for a week and they had this adverse outcome, but all we would have known was that they were dispensed 30 days worth. I understand. Some of our listeners may uh, wonder um, if they encounter a patient who is already taking both of these drugs, should they have any concern about a, a drug interaction? Or again, to phrase the question a different way, uh, is the order of the way these drugs are prescribed important? That is, if a patient is taking an antidepressant already and then a beta blocker is added to their therapy, um, does this make any difference in the drug interaction or is there less concern perhaps? I, I think there's a bigger concern if someone's already stabilized on the beta blocker and then the CYP2D6 inhibitor, the antidepressant, is introduced. And the reason I say that is if someone's already on the antidepressant, which is a CYP2D6 inhibitor, uh, what's going to happen is, is that the, they're going to start on a low dose of the beta blocker and ordinarily that's titrated to effect. Uh, it, it could be that they're going to appear to be more sensitive to the beta blocker initially, but ultimately what, what should happen in theory is that they're going to be titrated to a lower dose than someone who is not on a CYP2D6 inhibitor. Um, so it doesn't mean that if someone's on the antidepressant first and the beta blocker is added that there's no risk. It just means that um, the risk isn't quite as great and they're probably going to be on a lower dose of beta blocker. Your study was likely to produce some other research questions, and you referred to a previous study in this area. Uh, could you enlighten our listeners and, and add any, any comments about what additional research needs to be performed in this area? Sure. Um, I mean, the first one that comes to mind is that, as you, as you alluded to earlier, um, unfortunately, we don't have any actual hemodynamic parameters uh, that we measured. Uh, this was just a retrospective study. So we don't know how the average patient, if you will, is going to be affected. Um, one thing I should mention is, is that uh, almost 60% of the people who were stabilized on beta blockers and then received an antidepressant took it for less than 30 days. Uh, in other words, they never refilled their antidepressant. Um, that's an incredibly high rate of non-adherence. It's, it's not out of the norm, um, you know, there are studies looking at antidepressant adherence where uh, the majority of people are off of it within a couple of months, um, but that was still higher than we would have anticipated. And it really makes me wonder if maybe there's a lot of people who were on the beta blocker, they started the antidepressant, uh, they felt faint, um, maybe they felt literally 
Uh, and they did not wind up coming in the emergency room. They did not wind up being hospitalized. They simply stopped the antidepressant. Um, I, I would think that happened with the fairly high percentage of them, to be honest with you, uh, because we were looking at a pretty strict outcome, uh, namely ICD-9 codes associated with treatment in a hospital. Um, so it would be interesting to actually look prospectively at just how profound this interaction is. Um, another thought that crossed my mind is that uh, we were basically looking at two subgroups of antidepressants, uh, the strong inhibitors versus the weak inhibitors. And we found a greater risk with the strong inhibitors, which is consistent with our hypothesis. But it, but it's really not that simple. If you actually look at the, the CYP2D6 inhibition of individual antidepressants, um, a great example of that is that there was actually a small prospective study looking at patients stabilized on metoprolol who were then given either duloxetine um, S-citalopram or sertraline. And what they found was that duloxetine uh, increased plasma concentrations by roughly 200%, um, which is substantially less than it is with bupropion or fluoxetine. Um, then those who received S-citalopram, even though we consider that a quote-unquote weak inhibitor in our study, well, S-citalopram does have some CYP2D6 inhibitory potential. And in fact, in this particular study that I mentioned, uh, they found that the plasma concentrations of metoprolol went up almost 100%. Uh, so it's not weak, uh, but it's clearly weaker than those strong inhibitors we talked about. And then just to be thorough, uh, with sertraline, the increase was less than 50%. So even among these different drugs, even though we kind of dichotomize them, there is a, a hierarchy and some definitely pose greater risk than others. I, I think you, you've just answered the question I'm about to ask, but... I'm wondering if then you would recommend that clinicians, when they're uh, considering uh, the choices among various antidepressants, if they should avoid, um, depending upon what the beta blocker is, if someone's taking an antidepressant with CYP2D6 inhibitory effects? I think if you can avoid a strong inhibitor of CYP2D6 when you're starting an antidepressant, that's what I would advocate for. Um, and given the, you know, the, the wide variety of choices today, uh, most patients you can, you can usually identify an antidepressant, which is not a strong CYP2D6 inhibitor to start. Um, if, if they're already on a strong inhibitor, uh, say they're stabilized on Welbutrin or Bupropion uh, for their depression, and you want to start a beta blocker like metoprolol, um, in general, I would advocate for starting a lower dose, of course, you know, at least half of what is ordinarily recommended, maybe even less than that, if possible, just because I think there is some range in terms of how people are affected, um, uh, not only in terms of, you know, their innate characteristics, but also some of these other demographic factors that were identified in our study. I believe you said at the outset that the interaction could result in anywhere from uh, 200 to 500 percent. Uh, increase in plasma drug concentration. So that's a considerable uh, variability, uh, even if my numbers aren't correct. Anyway, I would just ask you finally if there's any other advice that you would give to clinicians about monitoring the safety of patients who receive a beta blocker and an antidepressant together. Well, I, I guess I would just say that one of the reasons we did this study is because I think we find that a lot of providers, and, and I myself am a provider, really overlook a lot of the warnings uh, that we see with the um, order entry software. You know, we're, we're, we're being warned about certain interactions. 
and I, you know, you could call it warning fatigue, but the bottom line is an interaction like this, I think a lot of providers would completely ignore. Um, similarly, I think there's a lot of providers who kind of get bored with all the uh, drug interactions that are cited in the literature um, and ask the question, you know, where does the rubber meet the road? You know, what is the, the, the risk from a clinical standpoint of combining these drugs? And so that's precisely the question we want to answer is, you know, how many people in fact are affected by this interaction? Um, you know, we did find that almost 5% of the people on this combination uh, wound up in the ER um, or being hospitalized. And I mean, when you talk about how commonly these two drugs, classes of drugs are prescribed, that's, a, that's really a substantial number on a nationwide basis. When millions of people are taking a drug combination, it certainly uh, behooves us to uh, study what results there are from, from drug interactions. Uh, Dr. Finley, I'd like to thank you very much for your contribution to pharmacotherapy and for taking the time today to uh, talk about your results. I would remind our uh, audience that uh, your article can be found in the June uh, 2020 issue of Pharmacotherapy. And thank you again for participating in the podcast. Well, thanks for inviting me.